Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Sportacast. Again, nothing. I thought July 4th, holiday break, you'd come with, you know, and this is the Independence Day almost edition of nothing. Long weekend, Scott. Let's get right into it. (laughs) All right. I I got you. So we do have our matchup now in the NBA finals, right? We got the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think at the start of the year, people would have thought you would have had the Suns and Bucks at this point. But let's look at it first from just sort of overall NBA health I'm kind of excited to see two teams that we haven't seen in a while. Um, not the usual brand names, not the usual mega stars, but I'm glad we're getting to see some new folks. How about you? I don't think you, I, I, I agree. I think that your standard, maybe casual NBA fan maybe doesn't agree as much. There's certainly some great storylines here. Giannis, if he plays, if he's healthy, Chris Paul is another one. I think a lot of NBA fans have, have waited a long time to see Chris Paul get this far. Um, but I think if you're the NBA, if you're Adam Silver, I don't think you're thrilled with uh, with the Suns facing off against against the Bucks. It's not neither of these teams are huge markets. Neither of them are are star laden in the way that some other teams that made the playoffs were. I don't know. I think we we've talked a lot in the past few years about the way in which this development of super teams has really been great for the NBA from a kind of national platform ratings, eyeballs, all of those standpoints. I don't think that Suns Bucks moves the needle anywhere close to what you would have seen if the Nets were playing in this game. If the Lakers were playing in this game, if there were a handful of other teams that got eliminated a long time ago playing in this game. Where are we in terms of star power? Like going into the season, I think we just said the Greek freak is one of the biggest stars in the NBA, MVP, international appeal, but he's not LeBron. No, he's not Harden. He's not Durant. Um, Yeah, he's not that trio with the Brooklyn Nets, but does the does the world do TV networks do advertisers do fans do they need to see Devin Booker do do, do folks know who Devin Booker is and <laughs> and are they excited about it Yeah, I, I just and as let, let us by the way before before you answer, let us always say that besides teams, what any advertiser, what any network will tell you is if we can get seven games with no matter who is playing, we're fine with that. That being said, yes, we want the longer series. 
Where are we with Chris Paul and Giannis and Booker? Where is the star power on this? What kind of wattage do we have? I mean, the big caveat to start, Scott, is, is Giannis going to play? Does he play? Yeah. <laughs> Giannis can be the that biggest star in the world. hyperextended knee if, looked bad. If the knee isn't working, it doesn't matter at all. Um, no, I don't think that Devin Booker is a is a national household name yet. He, he can be. I think this, this is exactly the kind of situation where you want him to be. I think Chris Paul is probably, outside of Giannis, the biggest star in terms of people tuning in to watch him in this playoffs. But again, I don't think in an era where there are super teams, where, as you said, Kevin Durant, James Harden and Russell Westbrook and, and, and Kyrie Irving play on the same team. I think that having these teams ending up here is not the best result from that point. But you're right. Also, there's, you know, the seven games is a much more important. If this goes four games, that's a terrible result. And if it goes seven games, it's probably a pretty good result. Let's talk about the Suns for a second, Scott. We discussed with the Islanders that the fact that they had a new sta- new stadium or a new arena opening next year and how good it was to have this timing. The Suns don't have a new arena coming, but they're, they're finishing up a $250 million renovation of their older arena, still looking for a naming rights partner. I can't imagine this is hurting that quest or at least the, uh, the, the valuation there. But this seems to be coming at a pretty good time for the Suns, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, winning cures all ills. Um, you, you definitely can bolster any case you have to make to potential sponsors, to current ticket holders. Yeah, it's a, the business of basketball rolls on and and winning certainly is the biggest thing. How about ownership though? We always do this. We compare the owners. Like, I don't know. This isn't Mark Cuban. This isn't one of these, you know, Bob Sarver. People really don't know. He came from the banking world, and but people don't know about Bob Sarver until this. And on the other side, you've got Wes Edens, Mark Lassery, Jamie Dynan, and you've, you, you've got uh, sort of the Wall Street connection. I remember when they were looking at the team. I think it was Mark. It was either Mark or West, but I think it was Mark when they were looking at a team to buy. Said when if you took the protractor, you know, and and drew the circle around, you know, with, with the pointy part at New York. You know, they wanted to be able to leave the arena and sleep in their own bed. <laughs> like that, that was sort of the measuring stick. And, you know, Milwaukee accomplished that. I remember when the Clippers sold for $2 billion, everybody said, oh my God, you're crazy. Like Steve Ballmer's nuts, $2 billion and nuts, nuts. I think when the Bucks were sold for, what is it, five fifty, whatever it was, I think it was that same sort of thing. People were like, whoa, this is Milwaukee. This is crazy. $550 million for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and of course, now you've got the new building in the Five Serve Forum. Um, you've got now a team in the finals. You've got an international superstar. Uh, 550 don't look so bad right now. Not at all. And there, there's some fun trivia here. I think both of these teams and their most recent transaction were a record price for an NBA franchise. I believe, and I, and I could be wrong here, but I think that 550 back in 2014 when Wes Edens and Mark Lazary bought the Bucks, I think that was the, the highest price ever paid for, for an NBA team in a full sale. And I believe when, when Robert Sarver bought the Suns from Jerry Colangelo back in 2000 and Six two thousand four something in that range. He paid about four hundred million. I think that was also an NBA record. So so both these teams at one point held record sales for an NBA franchise that have si- since been eclipsed uh, by five x six x. Both those teams are, are are worth immensely more than what these guys paid for it. And at a time, I think both of them were turning some heads by how expensive they were. All right, I'm on my phone flicking through, and luckily they both fit on the same screen, so I can do this, and we can give the credit to Peter Schwartz and Kurt Badenhausen, our valuations folks, of course. But we have the Milwaukee Bucks here, number 16 at the in the NBA, 
$1.86 billion. So there you go, three plus X. And if you go a little bit down, uh, the Phoenix Suns, I assume that's the uh, glowing basketball there. Number 23, $1.64 billion ahead of the Hawks, the Magic, the Hornets. I'm trying to like the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans. Still pretty good return on investment. Right? Four, four X in less than 20 years. Yeah, I think most uh, most investors would uh, would take that. Scott, let's change topics here real quick. Uh, NCAA, some big news last week. We teased it before it happened. Haven't talked about it since it did. But last Thursday, July 1st, the new name, image and likeness marketing rights opened up for every college athlete across the country. We saw a flurry of deals happen on midnight on the first. There was clearly a number of athletes and a number of companies that wanted to be the first, that claimed to be the first, even though there was a whole lot of them all at once. Um, But we're now almost a week into this and... Things seem great. It seems like uh, it's hard to believe that that we went 20 years advocating for this without without this change. But we're seeing social media deals. We're seeing podcasting deals, autograph deals. We're seeing players sign with agents. All of the things that the NCAA has long fought now seems to be happening in a new era for college athletes. Speaking of new era, going back to the old era, I'm seeing this on Twitter. Per reports, comma, EA Sports is making a big announcement on July 20th about the return of an old sports franchise. <laughs> That's all we had to do was figure out a way to pay the players, give them a vehicle where some of that licensing money could go to the players and your NCAA football game. Yeah, but or we don't basketball. know if that's it. Yeah, we don't basketball. end basketball. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's all you had to do. Uh, and the game is back. Wow, here we, here we are. You wonder, you wonder if the NCAA and all the business partners are going, why, why, why would we fight this so long? We think it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's funny. This this happens a lot. It feels like with the NCAA is that they're, they're very resistant to change. It happens in the, in the wake of a lot of lawsuits, a lot of activism, oftentimes uh, state and federal legislators that, that, that wade into the issues. And then once the change happens, frequently across the NCAA and particularly for the biggest programs, they embrace it wholeheartedly. Name, image, and likeness is going to be the exact same thing. The schools that spent so long fighting it are now going to embrace it. I don't know if you read uh, Father John Jenkins, the president of Notre Dame. He had a a New York Times op-ed last week, essentially talking about how much Notre Dame as as a university was going to embrace and help its athletes market themselves. Um, This is going to move very quickly from a thing that these schools did not want to happen to a thing that these schools are going to spend a lot of money helping athletes monetize because they think it gives them an advantage over their competitors. Yeah, I am interested, though, in in the fact that the boosters, you know, they can't just sign a player or would be recruit to any NIL deal. It has to be whatever like fair market value would be. But it's going to be very interesting to see how that world is navigated, because you can get 20 different answers when you ask what a fair market value deal would be for some high school stud football player or basketball player. And you will have boosters, whether they own a a car dealership or um, real estate or whatever it may be around the program. Uh, Remember the old uh, the Shaq movie with friends of the program. Happy was friends of the program. You're always going to have friends of the program. Blue chips. Yeah. Blue chips. Yeah. Neon Boudreaux. You're always going to have friends of the program. Nick Nolte looking the other way. It was really funny how they exaggerated the whole thing. Right. When that when the coaches were all like looking up the top of the gym. But I don't think it's going to be that far off because this is a way where the boosters can help, which they're trying to do 
get a player into the program. How it is monitored and whether something's a fair market deal, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what does come of that. And how do you define booster? We talked a few weeks ago about my trip to Tallahassee. One of the things I talked a lot with the folks at Florida State is look across the business sector, the, the business industries in Tallahassee. Almost all of those people are partners with donors to ticket holders to Seminoles football or, or men's basketball as it is right now. Um, there's obviously going to be bleeding over between people that donate to, to Florida state and, and their businesses working with Florida state athletes. Uh, so, so yes, the defining fair market value virtually impossible defining what a booster is, particularly in, in towns where there are no pro sports, where every business entity in town is probably has a relationship in some capacity with the big university in town, that's going to be an especially thorny issue as well. You know, I have, you know, my handful of favorite sports business stories throughout the year. David Stern and Timpu Bhutan is one of them. You've heard it a hundred times. You know when I'm teeing up and it's coming. But the Bobby Bowden story is also one of them. And years ago when I was talking to Bobby Bowden and he said, you know, one day the president of the university just showed up in my office and he had mentioned, well, we had a few empty seats today. He's like, it was the first time in my entire coaching career that the president had ever been in my office and certainly had deigned to mention the attendance, you know, at, was it Dope Campbell Stadium, whatever it is. I'm not even sure. Um, he's like, I knew my time here was done. Like that, that was it. And with this and with how big the business of college athletics has become, I would find it hard to believe if there's a coach out there, biggest program, it doesn't matter, who has not had multiple conversations about the revenue side of things with the president of the university. How about you? Without question. I mean, and, and that is that is only going to continue as college sports continues to be a bigger and bigger uh, industry. You, we've seen the ramp up in the past few years. The That's not changing, especially at the top. The, the Big Ten revenue is not going down. It's going up and it's going up significantly, particularly because of media. So as that as those programs bring in more money, there's there's certainly going to be more conversations like the one that Bowden uh, described to you. One other thing I want to, or two more things real quick I want to mention about NIL. We saw very quickly on July 1st, at midnight on July 1st, a few common misconceptions about NIL get dispelled very quickly. There were people out there saying that this was only going to affect people that play football and men's basketball at the biggest schools. We saw that that was not true. A number of HBCU football players, a number of athletes that are not big names nationally play at smaller schools. A number of female announced, athletes. Announced deals, and that's the other thing exactly. The, the idea that this was only going to benefit male athletes, some of the biggest deals announced in the first few days uh, were female athletes, women's basketball players, gymnasts, etc. It seems very clear that NIL rights is not going to be just for the quarterback at USC and the linebacker at Alabama. It's going to be an option and an opportunity for people all across NCAA athletics. And let's close on this. I can't tell you, and you'll agree with me, how lucky we are to have Mike McCann on staff because over the weekend, uh, it was nice to see Mike. Let's see, where, where didn't he? He was on Good Morning America. Everywhere. He was on C-SPAN, yeah, an hour-long show on C-SPAN. Um, he did another one, I think, one of the big morning shows. Uh, it, it was nice to see Mike McCann getting out there because he really is like the preeminent authority on all this. And we have the ability to just sort of pick up the phone and you know, tell me what I need to know and why does this matter and where do you see this going and what a resource. I mean, just what, what a resource to have. We, we, we got real lucky there. Um, so those are athletes who are playing. 
One who might not, Shakari Richardson. Um, we have not talked about this yet. Uh, as it was going on, you know, before all of the reports came out, you and I had gotten wind that there was something going on, and we didn't think that she was going to be able to go to the Olympics. Um, let, but the business side of it, right away, she spoke to NBC exclusively, not an accident, a rights holder for the Olympics, through the news division. Um, what do you think the end game was there? I think the end game was one to kind of have her be the the first word on this. It didn't actually end up being that way. She was on the, the today the, the, the NBC the, the Friday morning. It broke fairly late on Thursday night. Uh, but I think it worked out kind of the way that they were hoping in that I think before a lot of people in the U.S. realized, oh, w- one of the most marketable and recognizable Team USA athletes, uh, her, her Olympics is now in doubt. Before they even realized that was true, they were seeing her tell her story, which I think is extremely compelling, uh, seeing her tell it in her own words. So I think in, in, in some ways, yes, that, that, that was the goal. And I think it worked to a degree. My favorite line, and it really resonated because I say this all the time to folks who, who are obviously huge, huge sports fans. And I, I really try to say like, they're, they're just people, like they're just folks. Like they may be a better basketball player or really big football, they throw a ball harder, fast but they're just people. And she succinctly came out and said, I'm human. I just run faster than you. Like that, that was to me the moment, the most humanizing more than when she, even when she spoke about the death of her biological mother, the most humanizing aspect of the whole thing, which just, I just run faster. Like that's the only difference here. I run faster. And I wonder, Eben, I mean, Nike is obviously one of her big sponsors, and they put out a statement supporting her. Whether she goes or doesn't go, is she now a at a time when the discussion about the mental health of athletes is so robust, um, and you are looking for for humanizing figures? Is she a marketable figure, Olympics or not? Yes, I think I think she is. I think more people know who she is now than, than they did a week ago, uh, even though she's probably not competing in the Olympics, at least in her signature event, the 100 meters. Uh, she's also young. Scott, she's 21. It certainly seems as though in three years uh, for, for the Olympics in Paris, she's going to be a pretty viable candidate. So in that regard, I think that Nike will obviously continue to back her. Yes, I think that she, especially if she wants to be more public on this issue, Yes, I think that she is. She has a lot of uh, potential business opportunity here, particularly because, and, and if you look at national polling, marijuana and marijuana use is one of those things that actually kind of cuts across both political parties to a degree. There, there is kind of overwhelming support in terms of loosening uh, marijuana restrictions around the country, and we're seeing it at the at the state legislature level and at the sports level uh, in leagues like the N- NBA and Major League Baseball. Uh, so yes, I think there, there's possibility there uh, for sure. But I think there's no question that if she does not run in the Olympics, or if she does not run in the 100, but only participates in the four by 100, that is a a short term uh, business shortfall, I think for Nike. And certainly it is a ding for NBC as well. Yeah. And let's move on and close out with our friend Ken Golden at Golden Auctions. Much to my chagrin, you know, I didn't keep the old baseball cards and our our friend Paul Swangard uh, wanted to ship all of his hockey cards my way. And, and whatever we sold, we were going to split 50, 50 and then you saw the value of those, some of those suckers. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't in good conscience do it you know, anyway. But 
Ken has sold Golden Auctions to Collectors Holding. You know, that's a group held by Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, of course, Dan Sunheim, a hedge fund billionaire, and uh, venture capital investor Nat Turner. The latest in a series of movements in, in collectibles. To me, this just says, and having spoken with Ken, you need the capital to ramp up the sophistication of where collectibles now is. It's it's here we go again. You can have golden auctions, mom and pop, but you better be a division of global dynamics, global dominance. Inc. Am I right by that? Yeah, that's right. And and I think he just timed this extremely extremely well. The 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 pandemic for a number of reasons, and I don't know exactly which one of them carries the most weight. But there's no question that in the past eighteen months, uh, the nostalgia aspect and the speculative investing aspect of memorabilia and collectibles has made the market extremely hot. You mentioned a few other deals. Uh, former Disney CEO Michael Eisner is taking Tops public. That's a $1.3 billion deal. Uh, this same group, this collectible collector's holdings uh, that's buying golden auctions. They also took Collector's Universe, which is a card grading company, took them private at an $850 million valuation. It's a frothy market right now. And I can I don't know if this is exactly his motivation, but I can understand and if Ken Golden is looking at the value of the company that he started about a decade ago and saying, wow, this is uh, it's increased a lot right now. He's not exiting. He's taking equity, I think, to a degree in, mm-hmm. in yep. collectors holding as a whole. But there's no question that, that there's a strike while the iron's hot aspect to this right now, just because the collector's world is so hot. Yeah. As, as they say in the uh, in the banker space, he's rolling. Yeah, he's rolling all his equity into the new venture. He signed a multi-year deal to stay there. I think he just realized he needed the help with sophistication. And whether that's process, whether that's whether that's NFT, whether it's um, whether it's contacts in, in the industry, whatever it may be, he just said, these are good people to partner with. And I think we can scale this business even further, much like we are going to do with this podcast. He is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Social media editor Cora Veltman likes me to remind you the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.